All right, if you want to grab your seat, encourage you to continue that conversation after church. There'll be treats. There's lots of tasty treats out there and coffee. Plenty of time to hang out afterwards. Hopefully you maybe met someone new. We love, we love people connecting to each other here. Uh, my name is Drew. I'm the pastor here at Hope Community Church in Columbia Heights. We're really glad you're here. Um, and I, there's a reason I asked you this question. It is very specific. Uh, this is a thing in my life that has uh, inspired me. I w- went through, in, I was in art school for a while, and uh, I, don't, I think that helps probably maybe when I see things, even understand like how much work goes into a, a sculpture. But I promise you we're going to get there today. Um, and I'll share one that has really inspired me, a few actually that have uh, inspired me. Hopefully if you, you had one, or maybe you just thought this, maybe you just bonded over how silly the question was. And I'm glad. That's all we want uh, you to be able to. Um, it is February, and uh, throughout the year we like to celebrate people from all different backgrounds, but in February we specifically highlight uh, and hopefully maybe encourage you to consider uh, learning more about people maybe that, that you didn't know growing up, didn't hear about, are people from different um, cultures and backgrounds. And so during February, we like to celebrate black history. And each week, I'm excited to share someone that I just recently have been encouraged and learned about. And, and this week, I'm really excited to share with you about James Thompson. Hopefully, does anyone know James Thompson? I just recently learned about James Thompson. James Thompson actually has very great local history. So let me just quickly tell you a little bit about James Thompson. I promise to get into a, a sculpture. James Thompson was born, uh, this is actually a picture of uh, St. Paul area on the river, but he was born in Virginia into slavery in 1799. He was brought to the Minnesota Territory in 1827 with his slave owner who was selling merchandise to the soldiers at Fort Snelling. Um, they, they came all the way up just to sell things to them. And a, a small, small community was kind of forming on the river. Uh, when living um, in this settlement, he met his wife, who was a Dakota woman, and they were married. Um, historically, one of the first families uh, uh, of African-American descent and of Dakota descent to be married, which is interesting, one of the first in Minnesota uh, in the Midwest. Uh, quickly after they were married, though, his owner brought him down to Prairie du Chien, which is in Wisconsin now, uh, to sell items down there. And so for almost three years, him and his wife were separated um, as he was still owned by this man. And then in the process of living in Prairie du Chien, there was a group of missionaries that came through, and they were looking for someone who knew how to translate with the Dakota people. And so uh, they met him, and he was interested in working with them, and so they actually raised money. Uh, the missionary Alfred Brunson uh, raised money from his church and his uh, denomination, the Methodist Church, and they actually uh, purchased um, uh, James and then uh, immediately emancipated him. And so his freedom was bought, and then he uh, agreed, he actually wanted to come with them back up into Minnesota. Uh, I'm sure part of that was to see his be with his wife again. And so James came up with the group of missionaries, uh, these Methodist missionaries, in about 1837, uh, and they began to minister here, and he began to help build the community around uh, the area, which is now St. Paul. I mean, at that time, there was just a small group of people in that community. And so at that time, like all people pitched in and helped out and, and grew that community. Him and his wife eventually had two children. Um, he was uh, able to help translate and communicate 
uh, with the missionaries, and they're able to start building a church here. In fact, he built uh, one of the first homes for the Phelan family in uh, St. Paul. Originally, they settled in an area on the river uh, they called Pig Eye, and then eventually Pig Eye became St. Paul. Uh, that's the original name. It's a great original name. I feel like that's a great insult if someone's like doing the St. Paul's better than Minneapolis. You know, like we used to be called Pig Eye. Uh, at least if I was a junior high kid, I'd do that. Um, anyway, he helped settle that area. Um, he helped build, literally build the first church. He was a carpenter. He did lots of different things. Helped build that community. Um, I think is, is really incredible. Literally one of the founding fathers of St. Paul um, was James uh, and his wife. He operated a ferry for a while. He worked as a carpenter. He also bought and sold property in the area. Um, and uh, later, in 1849, he actually helped build the first one of the first churches in St. Paul. So not just help, like they didn't hire him to help, literally took his funds with a few other people and their supplies they had, and they themselves built the church. Now we'd say like, hey, we were part of building a church, which, which most likely meant like we raised money and then like, hired people to build it. They physically built the first Methodist church in St. Paul, one of the original churches, uh, as, long, as well as some of the first homes in the city of St. Paul. He was one of the people who helped build that community, kind of considered one of the founding fathers of St. Paul, Minnesota. Later, uh, as his family grew older, uh, there was, in their history, the U.S.-Dakota War. They moved for a while out for safety of his family. Uh, they moved back and eventually, uh, later in life, moved with his, his children to Nebraska, which is where uh, he ended his life. Uh, he's, a, he's an interesting guy because it's someone I've never heard of. And just recently heard about him. Um, and also a person that there aren't photographs of. So I love, usually I'd say, hey, we're going to learn about this, this man who was a founding father of St. Paul, and he had this great history, and he helped build, like literally build the beginnings of this uh, city now, this huge city. Um, and there's no photos of him. There's no image of him to see him. Uh, what he looked like. The only photo we could, I could find historically was uh, the photo of the missionary that came with him, like a, uh, an old painting, a pretty rough painting of him. But in 1998, there was a sculpture built of him. So this is uh, the Spirit of Rondo. This is a statue in the Western Sculpture Park in St. Paul, just west of the Capitol. Uh, it's, it's a really cool sculpture park. I encourage you to head over there. And this uh, statue is inspired by James Thompson. So this is Melvin Smith. He's a local sculptor, <clears throat> grew up in the Rondo neighborhood, and was commissioned to build a sculpture. And he said, I built this to honor and bring attention to the African-American legacy, specifically that of James Thompson, one of the founding fathers of St. Paul. So it's not a realistic sculpture, right? If you look at this, you might go, not go, oh, it's James Thompson. Uh, but he built it, he said, he built it tall and strong and, and unmovable like the man James Thompson. Did you love that? It actually like kind of says almost more than if there just was a, a, a realistic sculpture of him. So when we look at this sculpture, the Spirit of Rondo, named after uh, Melvin's neighborhood, um, it's to point us to James Thompson, right? This isn't actually James Thompson. He wasn't a, like a metal 
robot man who built St. Paul. But it's an image of him, and actually I think it really does kind of capture it when you know some of his history. Strong and tall and unmovable, like really just settled, set there. There's something about it. Like, like any sculpture, um, statue, or monument is supposed to kind of point us to something else. This one points us to James Thompson. So you go, I mean, you go down there after church, you could drive down and see the statue, stand in front of it, say hi to James Thompson, knowing that it's not really him, right? You're not really talking to him or standing in his presence, but in a way you are uh, pointed to him kind of in his essence. This is a word we wouldn't necessarily use, but is used a lot in the scripture we're going to look at today. This is the glory of James Thompson. Like kind of radiates who he is and what he is as he stands in St. Paul, Minnesota, um, many, many years after uh, he actually stood and founded this place. And so today we're going to look at this word glory. We're in the book of Ephesians, uh, and this word comes up a lot in the beginning of this. And it's a word that we use actually here a lot in church, right? Um, you don't necessarily hear the word a lot other places, but it's a word we use, and I don't know if we always know. In fact, a lot of the songs we sing, we say glory in it. And uh, it's a word that I thought it would be a good week to just stop and kind of do a little word study. Sometimes it's helpful when you're reading scripture, just say, man, we've seen that word a lot. What does that mean? Or where else is that? That word's all over scripture. So this week I took time to just be encouraged uh, in what that word means. I got to listen to some people share uh, what glory meant to them in scripture. Um, And so I I was really encouraged by some People speaking in the Bible Project, we've, we've used them often, but uh, it's a great ministry that people create these wonderful videos that help you kind of explain books of the Bible and themes of the Bible. Uh, Tim Keller and others, as I've read this week, I just want to share with you some things that have really encouraged me, and I think hopefully will help even uh, open this passage up even more to us and encourage us, uh, and also hopefully point us to the one um, who really uh, calls for and deserves glory. First of all, sometimes it's helpful just to say, where do we see this word? Maybe so we know kind of some of our own history or where where we've been influenced by what this word means. So I just looked up glory and I found some great things that I haven't necessarily seen or I remember. This is a movie I remember seeing and really impacted me. Glory. Anyone seen Glory? It's from ways back. It's about the 54th Massachusetts Infantry. It's one of the first all-black regiments in the Union Army. It's a pretty powerful movie. It's got some big heavy hitter actors in it. It's, it's, really, it's really great. That was one of the first things I thought, like, Glory, isn't there a movie called Glory? I then looked up, I, there's got to be some albums, music called Glory. There's a whole list of albums. Here's a, here's a wild mix. The list I found, here is the first three albums. Britney Spears' album, Glory. Michael W. Smith's album, Glory. And Jay-Z's EP of Glory. Isn't that a when else? When else ever are they on a list together? <laughs> Other than, like, music. And then they all play music. I loved it. I thought, oh, they all have titles with, with many other. There's songs by Jay-Z, um, by the Cranberries, by Audio Adrenaline. Many, many, many people have songs called Glory. There's, in fact, a city in Minnesota called Glory. Anyone know Glory was a place? It's not really a place. It's an unincorporated area that, that years ago they said was uh, had a few things there. I think uh, there was like a couple bars and like a gas station or something, which is all you need, I think, to make a a town. Um, There was a glory. It was actually named after the song, Glory, Glory, Hallelujah. Um, And uh, one of the, I was, I thought, this is, there's probably some really cool history. Someone famous from glory, 
There's no history. I can't find anything except there was a map that said where Corey was. You can go there, though. And, of course, we often see, I think the word glory, if I say, where do I see that? You hear it a lot in sports, right, or competitions. That the, like the, There's this great glory that people are running after and all these great uh, uh, athletes we see as we watch. And if not using that word, that's kind of where we see that, I think, that there's this like glow, this... Uh, this uh, magnificence about the things they're doing, that they just won a championship or set a new record, uh, and they're screaming and they're yelling, and you're like, there's like a, uh, they're acting out like this glory, this radiance. The word actual glory, just the definition, means high renown or honor won by notable achievements. You know, so to fight or die for the glory of one's nation. So it's this renown, this honor, a respect, uh, looking up to something because of what they've done. There's a magnificence or a great beauty. The train has been restored to all its former glory. That's a phrase we I hear. Something's been restored to its former glory. You might say, remember the glory days back when this was like this and that was like this, and kids today don't do that, <laughs> Right? So glory is a word we kind of use. I think we understand it, though, in that sense of this. Uh, there's almost like a glowing brightness to it, which I wonder if comes from maybe even uh, Scripture a little bit. So now, now we've seen a little bit. We've thought a little bit. I want to get into this passage now and just walk through some places we see. We're going to look at a lot of Scripture today, places we see this glory. And my hope is at the end we would uh, be able to leave here with something maybe Thinking about it. So I did say before, we're in the book of Ephesians here, uh, and we're taking just the first part of the first chapter, verses 3 through 14, uh, and we've done it for three weeks. This is our third week. It'll be our last week in it. And we're being, we're reminding ourselves that we are okay in Jesus. This passage speaks to this. I'm okay in Jesus. The first week we looked at just being, I'm in. What, what it means to be in Christ. It's not that we bring something to the table, that the fact that we're in Christ and that he has done the work is what's really important. We see it all over this passage, uh, that, that we're kind of dwell within him. Um, some of this week even texted me or, or mentioned, I said, this has been really encouraging to me. I picture myself as a house, like walking around all day, <laughs> like I'm in Jesus, I'm a little blue house. And I love that. I thought, yeah, yeah, that's, that's what we're looking at. And then we looked at being okay, these blessings that God has given us, that all these things we desire, uh, in life, to be known, to be accepted, to be brought into a, a family, uh, to not be left, to be loved. All those things come through Christ. And then today we're going to look at the last word in this, Jesus. I guess every week we look at Jesus, but this week specifically we're going to look at why this phrase is in this, but specifically it really is all about his glory. And so this week we're going to look at what it means when something is for his glory. So we're looking at this passage. We're actually going to uh, read it one more time here just to remember it. Um, and I want you to specifically, when we read this time, look for that word glory or glorious, or anytime there's something around there praising him, giving him honor. See where that comes up. It comes up a few times. And, and as we read, just look through that lens today as we see. I'm going to read this. This is Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. Um, here we go. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has been blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. 
In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace to which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him... We were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who are the first to put our hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory. And you also be included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is, deposit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Hopefully you saw a few of those in there. We start even just this praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's not the word glory, but we're kind of doing that there. We're honoring and um, sharing of the magnificence of our God who's given us every spiritual blessing in Christ. Later he says, to the praise of his glorious grace. Now we're, now we're putting the word grace and glory together. It's this incredible thing, right? This free gift that he's given us and all this list of blessings. If we continue on the, the next part here, it says for the praise of his glory. And it ends with to the praise of his glory. It really starts with our God is so good. Remember our God who's given us all spiritual blessings and they list all the blessings. It feels like in the middle, there's just moments he can't help but say, and for the praise of his glories, he's just bubbling over and then ends with to the praise of his glory. Our God is so good. He's all the blessings he's poured on us. Praise be to him. Let him be honored and known. So what does this look like? I, I picked just some passages that have been uh, that where we see glory, and I think we see a, a couple different facets of it, like almost as if we're looking at uh, it from different angles to kind of maybe get a, a bigger picture. What does glory look like in Scripture? And one of them we just saw recently at Christmas time. Um, glory is used often in the Christmas story, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flock at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. And this this picture usually right is a. Picture this like glowing, these angels who came who like you, you can't even look at. There's some kind of glowing essence of the Lord. There's this honor of the Lord, but also there's something there. There's like a, it's so bright you can't look at it. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angels, praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to, the, to those on whom his favor rests. So they come with some kind of glowing. It's like a something you see, you can like experience it. And then they also say glory to God, honor to him. It's kind of different ways we're, we're seeing this word used. In Psalm 19, um, I love this one. This one is one that helps me uh, when I'm like out, if I go for a hike, or I'm at camp, I'm sitting by a lake. This is one that often comes to mind. Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Isn't that a great image? They don't say anything. They don't use words or sounds. 
but they still have a voice. This voice goes to the ends of the world saying glory to God. I love that, that image. There's no, there's no sound, but there's still a voice. So they're declaring the glory of the Lord. So these creation around us declares the glory of the Lord. So the things that we see as we walk through our day, is, it doesn't have to be at camp when I see a lake or trees or an eagle fly by. It could be on my drive to work or as I just see people interact. Um, you see this glory of the Lord, right? It's this image, if you've had one of those moments uh, where you're sitting by the lake and you just go, like, there's just something, you're like overwhelmed, you like are, are taken aback um, by creation because the creation is pointing us to honor to this magnificent thing, this person of God. For me, this happens sometimes just even driving through the cities. If you've ever been at a park, um, I love going to the, the park on the river um, over in Fridley. And if you're just right on the shore, you like look down the river and you see the skyline of Minneapolis and the river. Sometimes people are like kayaking by. It's just this amazing kind of moment and place of trees and water and beauty that is, uh, reminds me that it was all created by someone. Uh, and it points me to that person. And so this glory can be this radiance that they saw with the angels or just the honor like spoken from them that God is creator and he's good and he's loving. All, it's like all the uh, amazingness of him, the magnificence of him. It also can just be seen around us and pointed to by all of his creation. We also see this word uh, describe, uh, as we describe people, at least in part of how we describe people. In Romans 3, there's no difference between Jew uh, and Gentile that's describing. There's no difference in uh, the Jewish people or all other people, in, in all people. So they've all sinned, they've all turned from God, and they fall short of the glory of God. This is more of a bummer passage about glory of God. Uh, we can think of beautiful places and landscapes and mountain ranges and go, oh, it just points me to a creator in all of his glory. And this one reminds us that that God is also a, a, a person that we fall short of and our relationship is broken in. And so that's where I want us, I want us to kind of go back and see where did that happen? And then how do we get to Ephesians 1 where there seems to be these people who are pointing people to God. If we fall short of the glory of God, how do we get there? As we continue to look kind of at this glory that's here. Well, it starts in the garden as God creates uh, all things, um, the earth and the skies and the seas and the plants and the animals, and he creates people. See them back there? They're kind of hiding in the back. It says in Genesis 1, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image in our likeliness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all wild animals, and over all creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This is really, this is really important. In creation, God speaks and he creates things, and we learn in, in Psalm 19 that we just heard, those things actually point to that God, but he actually creates his people in a different way. He actually creates them in his image. So his people here are actually pointing people to God in a, in a little different way. This, this um, language here is similar language of like an image that they would see 
um, around them in, in, in pagan cultures. So they'd have these statues of gods, and you'd go to that god, and you'd like offer to that god. And so now he's saying, I'm going to create my people. My people aren't uh, like you know, a bronze or a rock sculpture. These are like living people, and people are going to look at them and look at each other, and it's going to make them be reminded of the honor and the glory of the God who made them. So in the beginning, when he makes stuff and everything is still good and right, people are these statues that have come to life as God's breathed life into them, and they point everyone to the creator. What happens uh, is that this is forgotten. And actually a lie is told to them. A, a snake comes, uh, uh, Satan in the form of this serpent comes, uh, and he says, oh, you can't, you can't believe what God's telling you. God told him, there's one thing I'd like you to not do is eat from this one tree. And, and Satan says, there's, come on, that can't be true. You, can you really trust this God? And so he says, you will not certainly die if you eat from this tree. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Do you remember uh, the last slide here with the verses? The purpose was not to be God. The purpose was to be an image of God and point people to the creator. That's when, like, when we're in our sweet spot. is when we're bearing the image of a God, when we are representing all that God is, and that makes people want to look and give glory and honor to the one who created us. And Satan here says, oh, he, he, doesn't, want, he doesn't want you to have that. God doesn't want you to have glory, but if you eat this apple, you could. You, you might not even need God then. You could be the God, and no, you no longer have to just point people to the God, but it could be you. That's a place where I, um, I, my first response is like, how silly, why would you believe that? And then my second response, uh, it doesn't take long, and I go like, every day I believe that lie. Every day I say, yeah, how can I be God today? How can I be the one that gets the attention and the honor and the glory? How can I make this about me and not about me giving glory to the one I was created for? Tim Mackey from the Bible Project says this. I like how he shares this. He says, everybody images God. Just some humans do it really poorly, and some humans do it better. So what does it mean to do it better? In the Bible, then, this is where the image of God overlaps with the theme and vocabulary of glory what it means to glorify someone, because that's what the image does. So our image, what we do, how we live out our days, points to something. And I think I find myself working really hard so that would point back to me and that I might get a little bit of glory and honor. And we're actually created to be ones who point to the one who created us, the one who really has glory and honor. And so that is actually a, a definition some people use for sin. They say, well, what is sin? And we might say, well, sin's doing bad things. Like, well, what if sin was just us really not bearing the image of the God who created us? Which is what, if you think of sin, and when you, you hurt someone or um, sin against someone, you're doing things that aren't bearing the image of a God. Aren't, people don't look at you and go, wow, there must be a loving God who cares deeply for people, who, who holds to truth who doesn't waver, who's gracious. 
We see this play out um, in a story, a narrative that we see start in Exodus, um, and in the, that story continues actually and explain more in the book of 2 Corinthians. I think this is a really helpful one to see here. It's actually from Exodus, not Psalm Exodus. There's not like a new book of the Bible I'm revealing today. <laughs> I just made the slide wrong. <laughs> in Exodus 34, uh, this is a story maybe you've heard. This is kind of a well-known Old Testament story. Moses, who uh, God sent to help, he was the one who helped lead the people out of the out of Pharaoh, out of slavery, and into the promised land. Where all these miracles happen, God does all these incredible things. Over and over, the people of God should have been killed. They should have been lost. They should have been enslaved again. And God keeps coming through, pulling them through. And then they get to the wilderness, and then Moses goes up to a mountain. And on that mountain, he encounters God. He, remember, he said there's a burning bush. He experiences the glory of God there. Like, with his eyes, like physically, and also just his presence. And God gives him the Ten Commandments to say, here's some, a law. Um, so this is the way I want my people to live. And so Moses comes down. This is where we're at now. Moses comes down from Mount Sinai carrying the Ten Commandments. His face is shining brightly because the Lord has been speaking to him. Is that cool? He was just like with him and he like absorbed some of that glory. It makes you think of those um, stars you put on your ceiling, and then like if the lights are on in your room, they like absorb, I don't know how it works, they absorb light, and then when you turn lights off, they kind of glow for a little while. They eventually fade, but there's a, like they have absorbed some of the light. Moses comes down shining because he's been with God. Moses did not know at first that his face was shining. I love, I, that'd be an incredible moment to go back to when he's down and he's like, what? What's, I don't get it. And everyone's like, Come on, man. Your face is shiny. He's like, I don't, why are you all looking at me? And then Aaron and the others looked at Moses. They saw that his face was shining and they were afraid to go near him. Because he's like, he's shining the glory of God. And now they're like, I can't be close to God. I'm so sinful. I'm so uh, not holy. So Moses called out for Aaron and the leaders to come to him. He spoke to them and the rest of the people of Israel gathered around Moses and he gave them the laws that the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. The face of Moses kept shining. And after he had spoken with the people, he covered his face with a veil. Moses would always remove the veil when he went into the sacred tent to speak with the Lord. To a, this happened to a point where like, he had to start wearing a veil because the glory of the Lord keeps shining at people he's meeting. He just can't even... Like go to the store because everyone's like, chill out with the glory, Moses. I mean, this, this is pretty incredible, right? He was with God and then now he's, he's like showing this off. What an amazing image of him bearing the image of God. That they see him and they're seeing the glory of God through him. This is a photograph that was taken at the scene that day. Him coming down. I love that bright face. So this, I share this because I think it's an incredible kind of image of that, right? That there's uh, this image bearing, this glory that we, we point and honor God and people actually will see God through us because we've been with him. And how kind of does that work? Well, 2 Corinthians actually explains it with this story. So 2 Corinthians, uh, he says, Now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone. He's talking about, last week we talked about this. He's talking about this difference in kind of the law and the gospel. And so there's these, these uh, this is why he says engraved letters on stone. So there's this law, these 
these rules that come down of like, this is how I want you to live. God says, this is how we actually love and care for each other. Uh, and those, those laws should point us to like, I can't do this. God, I, I, can't, I can't do all of these. Like I could maybe not murder people and I could not commit adultery, but like not lying. I've already done that 15 times a day. Like I can't, so some of those should, would point us to God and say, God, I can't do these. And he'll say, yeah, you can't, you're going to need me. You're going to need Jesus. And Jesus can come fully and do those. And so there are things that points that Jesus has done this good work, that Jesus is the one that fulfills these things. But those, those laws really just became rules that said, if you can do these, or at least find a way to, to look like you're doing these, then God will be happy with you. So do better. So that they become people misinterpreted and they say, just do better and follow these and then God will be happy with you. He'll bring you into the family. He'll make you glorious. Um, and instead, they really brought death, right? Lots of rules as we see as Jesus comes in the New Testament. Um, he's showing that off. Hey, you just saying you're in and you're not in because you're not following these isn't, isn't what God's called you to. In fact, we're all called that we fall short of the glory of God and we need someone to, to get us back into the relationship with God. So that's kind of where, where he's going with this or where some of the context we know. So now, in the ministry that brought death, which is engraved in the letters on stone, came with glory. So the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory. So we just saw this story, right? He came down with the stones and it came with glory. Um, let's skip down to nine. If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, so if, even if these stones that came down, they eventually brought condemnation, if eventually brought death and these laws uh, was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? We know who brings that, right? It's Jesus. For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. That glory that Moses came down with, he was shining, they couldn't look at him. He had to cover his face. You thought that was glorious? Oh my goodness, this glory now that we see in Christ surpasses that glory. And if what was uh, transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. For this, to this day, the same veil remains when old covenant is read. Saying when we still look at that, if that is what we look to for our hope, is, is following these rules, is, is being good and better, then we still, it's still like we have a veil. We're still even like blocking the glory. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. A lot of commas in that last sentence saying, now, as we come, as we're in Christ, this is very much like our, we see here in Ephesians, as we're in Christ, as the veil comes off and we can experience the glory of God because Christ has died and rose on a cross, he's made our relationship right with God, the glory of God doesn't scare us, he doesn't hurt us, we can be in his presence because of what Christ has done, 
we in Christ, it's like we clothe ourselves in Jesus, we can enter into the glory of God, and now he's going to transform us. And he's going to make us more into his image with ever-increasing glory. Like it was first made to be. It comes from the Lord. And so we can't step into it. We've fallen short of that glory because of way back, and we continue every day to turn the glory on us and turn away from God, but Christ has made a way in his death and resurrection, his ascension uh, into heaven, that now we can just say yes to Jesus, clothe ourselves in Jesus, and he transforms us to once again be that image. And so we get to bear this image to others. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ. So saying the God of this age, right? Satan, our flesh, these things want to, want to blind us, want to veil us to this glory of Christ, who is the perfect image of God. He, he did, he, he's the perfect human. He is fully human in that. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. So now Christ's face is the one that's showing the glory. So we look to Christ and he enlightens our hearts. He takes the veil off and the glory of God now gets displayed in us as we get to be in his presence. So as Moses walked up and was made glorious, like shine, was shown his God's glory as he went back to the people, we too, as we continue to be in Christ and pursue Christ and are in God's word and with God's people, he continues to brighten us. And so we get to walk around as sculptures and statues and monuments that people can be inspired by each day, not because of who we are, but who God is making us. That's what, that's what Ephesians is encouraging us. Oh, praise be to God. Look what he's done for you. Not so that you're awesome now, but because now you're going to become more glorious and point to him more. In the end, he gets more glory as he continues to work in you and make you a, a child of his and make you loved and, and satisfy your deepest heart's desires, bring hope to you as you walk around. People go, Oh, look at that. so gracious to me. And they get to an uh, image and get pointed to the one who really brings all of that. Another, uh, well, there's a statue, I guess an enormous statue that I have uh, been inspired by is one in Brazil. Now you might know the statue in Brazil that's in Rio, that's up on the hill of Jesus. Looks kind of like this. There's a town in Brazil that said, we want a bigger Jesus. <laughs> So right now they're building a bigger Jesus than the one in Rio. Is that like the, awesome, the, the greatest like town rivalry? <laughs> they're like, you have a huge Jesus? We're going to build a bigger Jesus. And so in 2019, they started building a taller Jesus. This is Christ the Protector. It will stand 43 meters, about 140 feet tall. Um, it'll also include this pedestal on top and an elevator so you can go up uh, into Jesus. You can literally be in Christ. Uh, and his arms stretch 36 meters from uh, finger to finger, hand to hand. Uh, it's, isn't that incredible? I love that they, I love, it's not just somewhere else in the world. It's like, you know, down the coast from Rio. <laughs> they're going to get to say they have a taller, bigger Jesus. I, it'd be incredible to see this. 
This is, I mean, this is what God's doing, though. He's building, not giant, he doesn't need giant statues of Jesus in Brazil. He's got millions of little statues all day that are alive and active and get to act out his great glory. Here's the blessings from First Ephesians that we see. We, they're freely given. We're known. We're loved. We're made family. We're given life. We're giving God's spirit within us. We've been redeemed and forgiven. We have an inheritance, a future. As, as we know, he'll come and make all things right. We're sealed with his spirit. Just a few things that he's building within us so that people can see him. Not, not see us, but see him as we kind of glow and show off his glory. It's why it's one of my greatest joys in life when I meet someone, and uh, this happens every single week. I meet someone in Columbia Heights, I'm out somewhere, or I, I'm swinging by the school, and we're talking, and we realize we know the same person because they go to, they go to our church. And they say, oh, no way, they go to your church? Gosh, they have been so good to us. And you're like, how good is that? Right? There's a moment where I'm like, oh, please say that they're nice to you. They're <laughs> not like, oh, they go. Uh, but because in that they go, there's a moment where they go, wow, they go to a church uh, that, that loves Jesus. I wonder how much that kindness has come because they're radiating back what has happened to them. So this is my encouragement is we know we're okay in Jesus. We can't just hold on to that and go, okay, you've made me awesome. Now more people will like me and want me. But we're made okay in Jesus to the praise of his glory. We're made that way so that we can be those who honor um, him and point others to him. I saw this happen actually this last week, uh, kind of in a bigger scale, not here, uh, in our community, but I saw this as I watched football. Uh, Cooper Cup uh, plays for the Rams. He's going to the Super Bowl. As soon as he, he found out he was going to the Super Bowl, uh, his wife ran. There's actually a video on her Instagram. She runs onto the field, and she jumps and hugs him. And she posts this. She says, this moment, these moments, thanking God for every one of them, we have prayed for a season to glorify our Savior, Jesus Christ. You're doing just that, my lovely Cooper Cup. Surreal. <laughs> Isn't that sweet? It's sweet in a lot of ways, but what, what, a, what a way to pray. God, give us a season that we get to glorify you. Give us an opportunity to glorify you. You're going to the Super Bowl. What an opportunity to say, my husband, Cooper Cup, at Cooper Cup, is the greatest the hunkiest, the coolest, the strongest, the best football player of all time. She says, oh, thank God. We get an even bigger place to shine the glory of God to people. What an opportunity. You're going to the Super Bowl. Oh, could I? More people might be able to hear of who Christ is. Surreal. Um, I think that might be a response that we all could give um, as we think, as, you, as you, the reality of Ephesians 1 sinks in. I'm going to invite our worship team up here so we can sing and praise our God and glorify him. But as uh, that sinks in, I, I want us to really think, like, you get this same opportunity to glorify God in every season. That doesn't mean that things aren't really hard, 
But as this week I studied this passage with my small group and someone in it really struck me. He said, all these things, being called God's son, being loved, being cared, these things don't change no matter how crummy my life gets. I don't know if you use the word crummy, but a word like crummy. (laughs) No matter how crummy my life gets, these never change. So I get to still glorify God even when things are really hard. Um, You still get to shine because it's not about me and what I've done, what I can muster up. It's about being with God and allowing him to to shine from my face. That's surreal. A few things to consider as we um, sing. We're going to have an opportunity to sing together to pray. Uh, there will be people in the back of the room if you want someone to pray with you, they'd love to pray. There's also communion out there, an opportunity for us to, to um, symbolically take the, uh, the wafer, with little wafers and cups that you break, remembering Christ's body was broken for you and the blood, remember his blood shed for you. And just take a moment to pray. And maybe this is a prayer today to say, God, use me to glorify you. That's what we were made for. A few other things to consider as we uh, reflect today. Do you know that God is building his image in you? He, some days, maybe depending on your personality or own history, maybe uh, the faith community you have grown up in, you might know that like, yeah, you fall short of the glory of God. Maybe you're someone who it's easier to think how uh, glorious you are, how great people are. Can we balance that? Can you Think today, you're being built into the image of God. We are, we do fall short, but through Christ we are made uh, in his image. And then consider when is it all about your glory? That's the thing just all week to be considering, assessing your life. Who is sculpting you? Into whose glory? Who are the ones that get to, are making an image of you? And then who needs to hear? They're just okay in Jesus. That could be a great gift this week to someone to know that they're okay. Christ. Let me pray for us and we'll sing together. Lord, thank you for your goodness, your kindness, your grace towards us. You've called us your sons and daughters. That You've given us an inheritance, a future, and a hope to look for that one day you'll make all things right. And Lord, until that day comes, I pray you'd use us. That we would shine. That we would point people to. They'd see us and they would be inspired and moved to want to move towards you. And they could find their hope in that. And that we would also find our great satisfaction in being your image bearers. We love you. You're really good to us. I pray as we sing, we would glorify you. I pray that in your good name. Amen.